am thankful for our leadership and our church. Uh, Brother Will, thank you for doing what you do and flexibility. Our worship team, worship band, choir, our tech team on a day like today, they're running ragged, but they are the heroes behind the scenes. Uh, you guys see me. I'm sorry you have to see me, but they're the, really the guys who are doing all the moving and shaking this morning. So nonetheless. Hey, we, uh, we were gone last week. Y'all knew that. And we were in Disney. I made a promise that I will not sing any Disney songs this morning. Danny, um, that's for you. Uh, if you're at home, I encourage you to take out your Bible and a notepad. For those of you in the room, a worship guide will have to do. And I will be car- very careful as I go through points this morning because you won't have screens to look at to take pictures on. So you're actually have to write them down, okay? You remember when we used to write stuff down with a pen and a paper? You remember that? We can do that today. So grab your pen, paper, and your worship guide. And I'm to give you some fill in the blanks as we go this morning. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 10, just one verse today. Yes, just one verse and probably a verse you've never heard a whole sermon preached on, but you will today. Before you get there, though, I want to take a pause. Um, This year we're talking about apologetics. Apologetics is a systematic defense of the Christian faith in a secular world, and the necessity of of teaching doctrine and apologetics in the world that we live in. It's not just enough, as I've said before, to tell Bible stories. We have to teach doctrine and apologetics in this time because the world we live in is no longer a a worldview of Judeo-Christian ethics and morals. We live in a very uh, pagan, secular world. Um, This week, I don't normally do this, but as praying about it, the Lord led me to uh, make a statement about kind of the intersection of that. And I wrote this statement down because I don't want to go too far. I want to be wise, but I also want the church to hear this statement, okay? And I want you to be very, very uh, careful as you listen to the statement. If you're online, I want you to pay attention to these words. I want it to deal with something happening right now in our nation's capital, and I think it's important to address it. So I'm going to read the statement. There are moments when our Christian beliefs really conflict with culture and even government. And as much as we would like to live in denial, these moments demand a biblical response. Amen? I would like to take just a few moments to present a Christian defense against the, quote, woke, and I'll call it spiritually broke, legislation that has now passed our House of Representatives in the hands of the U.S. Senate. I'm talking about H.R. number 5, or some people have called the Equality Act. I'm going to take just a moment here. I refuse to be political. You won't hear me name names of political parties or candidates or leaders. That's not my job. My job is much higher, much more eternal in that regard. However, this does demand a response. H.R. number 5 represents an agenda that is not about equality or, or discrimination. If it were about discrimination, And the church should stand up and support for all lives have equal value before God. Amen? This is not legislation, this is not good legislation. This legislation not only permits but condones and endorses a wide range of sexually deviant behaviors. It forces schools to teach this behavior as normative. Opens restrooms and locker rooms for perversion and, listen carefully, will attempt to silence nonprofits, i.e. churches, for speaking out against the LGBTQ plus agenda. In October and November, I preached a series talking about the gospel and our civic responsibility. This is not the whole sermon. I just want to read this, so hang in there with me. I preached a whole series about this, and I know the only appropriate time for civil disobedience is when man's law contradicts God's law, right? This legislation is a direct violation of God's law. 
and his moral standards for his creation. Apologetically speaking, if we believe in God as an absolute moral standard, has an absolute moral standard, then we must reject this wicked, wicked push. My statement this morning is not made in hate. I have dear friends, church, who have fallen into this sin. I have faces with the issue. I have faces with the issue. However, my love for Christ, the gospel, and his word will not allow me to simply go along with this. At some point, church, we must put our foot in the ground and say enough is enough. What can we do? Well, I want to encourage you this morning. We need to be writing our senators in Washington this week. You need to be writing our lawmakers in Montgomery this week. And you need to even be writing the White House this week and expressing your convictions about this. I will be. This legislation attacks morality and religious freedom, both of which are gospel issues, aren't they? As for me, I don't have to wait for the fork in the road. Now listen carefully what I'm about to say. I will not bow to the woke culture and omit God's law in regard to LGBTQ plus their sin or any other sin. I will preach the full counsel of God's word without apology. I will preach it both truth and grace with love as my motive. I, church, will not be silent about this. That's just a statement I felt like I needed to read this morning. Now, now I'm on record, right? Now there's a YouTube video with me saying that. So instead of them bringing the fight to me, I just brought the fight to them, Brother Will. There you go. Amen. If you have your Bible open this morning, I want you to go to Jonah chapter 2 as we get back into the text this morning. Uh, again, I don't normally do that, again, not political, but I feel like somebody needs to say something, and I will say something. Uh, so nonetheless, so back in our series in the book of Jonah, if you, uh, a couple weeks ago, if you remember, Jonah is in a bad situation. Jonah is in the belly of a very large fish, and we asked the question, has Jonah repented? And the question, the answer to that is we're not really sure, but it seems as if repentance has begun but not matured yet in Jonah. I would say that Jonah probably does repent, although we don't get that in the story of Jonah. Why do I think Jonah repented? Because Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. If you didn't repent, you probably would not write the book of Jonah because you wouldn't want anybody to know about what happened to you, right? And so there seems to be probably an argument that Jonah probably did repent, but we didn't see the full maturity of that repentance, certainly in Jonah chapter 2, but he begins to cry out to God and ask God, God, please help me, right? It's where we at when our sin, when, when the mess gets really mucky, you know, God, help me. Now, the full help doesn't come until we can fully repent, right? But there's at least a direction of a prayer towards God. This question I want to ask this morning is the question, is it ever too late? Is it ever too late or is anyone ever too broken for God? It's an important question. Is it ever too late or is it ever too late for someone who's broken towards God? God. Now I want you to see how God has worked by his grace to this point. I want to kind of highlight a few verses in chapter 1 and chapter 2 so that you see God's grace in the work of all of this mess. I'm going to refer to it as a mess because literally that's what you're about to find in verse 10 is a mess, okay? Jonah chapter 1, I want you to see God's grace as God appoints his creation for the betterment of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, but the Lord hurled or the Lord appointed a great wind. Did you know that the storm that God sent to Jonah was an act of his mercy, an act of his grace? Absolutely it was. 
If God was not merciful and grace-filled grace towards Jonah, this, it would have been over from the beginning. There would never be no act of an opportunity for repentance. The act of the storm was to get Jonah's attention, an act of his grace. Chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Do you believe that? Absolutely believe that. Jesus referred to it in the Gospels. Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days, so will the Son of Man be in the, in the grave for three days. And so if Jesus affirmed it, I'm just, I'm just kind of naive enough to say, you know what, I believe that, amen, right? And so, yes, the Lord appointed a great fish. The, the fish, again, was an avenue of God's grace, church. Chapter 4, we'll get more of God's grace. We'll get there in a few weeks. We'll get to chapter 4 because I'm going really slow. Like I'm crawling right now. I get it, okay? We'll get there. But chapter 4, verse 6 says the Lord God appointed a plant as well. Later on, God's going to, okay, so he has a storm. He has a fish. He has a plant. You're about to see something else that God appoints, right? All because of God's grace upon Jonah's life. Chapter 4, verse 7, and when the, dawn, uh, the next day came up, the next day, God appointed not just a plant, a worm. So God is in the business, listen carefully, of appointing things out of his grace in order to draw us back to a relationship, a good relationship with himself. Okay? The beauty is this. Everything in Jonah, all of creation in Jonah, obeys God except for his appointed prophet. Every. Everything in Jonah obeys God except for the one person you would assume to be the most obedient to God. If you have a worship God, fill in the first blank. If you're at home, write the statement down. God created all things to serve and to glorify him. The question is, why am I here on, on this earth? You are here on this earth to serve and glorify God. The only question is, will you will or, will you not, or won't you, right? Will you or won't you? That's the question. Everything God creates is to bring glory, honor, and service to himself. We see that in the four things God appoints, the wind, the, the fish, the plant, the worm, all appointed by God for his purposes to bring glory to himself and even the prophet, yet the prophet kicks back. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the Lord, the host of heaven worships you. All creation was meant to worship and glorify and serve God. It's important. When you get to Jonah chapter 2, we get to the mud and the mess, the mess that we find Jonah in. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, gives you his predicament. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, the first time that Jonah prays in the entire narrative. And we get verse 2, verse through 8, you get the prayer of Jonah, who's finally crying out, God help me, right? It's the prayer when we finally hit rock bottom. If you've ever hit rock bottom, give me the Baptist hand, not the Pentecostal hand, give me the Baptist hand. You ever hit rock bottom before? Jonah hit rock bottom, and he cries out to God, God, help me. Listen carefully. Out of God's grace, God helps in verse 10. Let's read together. There's one simple verse that's going to be the verse of the whole message. Yes, one simple verse. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. 
There's a sermon there? Yeah, there's a sermon there. Now, sometimes it's easy, especially if you take a week off in a series, it's important to kind of take a step back, again, look at the whole narrative from the big picture. This is a whole big picture look at this one very, very messy moment. Uh, years ago, my mom, uh, in teaching Revelation chapter 3, remember Revelation chapter 3 is one of the letters uh, to the churches, and there's a church called Laodicea, and, and God's word says, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, if you don't pick to follow God fully, it's as if you're like uh, lukewarm, I want to vomit you out of your mouth. My mom it was disgusting as a teenager. I remember her making a bag, a, a Ziploc bag of barf, okay? This is kind of gross, I know, but I almost did that this morning. I almost made a a, a Ziploc bag, but I didn't want to lose you, Gary, because I know Gary, if you, if you know Gary's stories, Gary sees it, it's going to be over with, okay? And we got pretty new carpet and pretty new chairs, okay? So I didn't, I didn't want to do that, but this, this was made like ketchup and mayonnaise and, and, and relish and all this kind of stuff, and it looked, it looked gross, okay? All right? It looked gross. I thought about that in context with this moment. The only other option for Jonah other than vomit was death. So considering the two, this was the better option. But this was not a pleasant option. This morning I want to talk about the mess of our own making. As a result of this, the mess of our own making. What is the mess that you speak of? The mess is not the sin, it's the consequences of sin, right? The mess is the the falling away, it's the running from God, the rebellion against God. But there is consequences that follow our sin. No one evades the consequences of sin. And those consequences do not just affect you, they affect your family, they affect those closest to you, and even affect your church, right? Sin has collateral damage. I'm not talking about the sin, I'm talking about the damage. I'm talking about the mess of our own making this morning. Now, I want you to know this, that God is good in the midst of all those messes. Number two, if you have a worship guide, fill this in. God is the master of taking a man-made mess and turning it into a gospel-sized message. I'll say it again because nobody said amen. God is the master of taking a man-made mess and turning it into a gospel-sized message. Consider these Bible heroes. Jacob was a notorious cheater. Peter had a temper and he was impulsive. David had an illicit affair and was a murderer. Noah got stupid drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer and terrorist. Gideon was insecure and he was weak. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody and he was depressed. Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old and Lazarus was dead. God is the master of taking a man-made mess and turning it into a gospel-sized message. Amen? One of the, the truest points in, uh, in the validity of Scripture is the Bible heroes were not perfect people. All the Bible he heroes had that, that, that one trait, that, that one thing that, that caused them to stumble, that sin that so easily entangled them. And in spite of all that by God's grace, God worked in them, sanctified them, reconciled them, and used them for his greater purposes. God is the master of taking a, a bunch of ingredients and amount to nothing and making a masterpiece and a feast out of them. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 tells us why God is good with that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. 
His grace is a result of his love for us. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? So God is good in the mess. You know why God is good in the mess? Because God is willing to crawl in the mess with you, church, i.e. Jesus Christ. God is good in the middle of the mess. Number three, the mess is a result of sin. But listen carefully. The message is a product of his grace. The mess is a result of our sin, but the message is a product of his grace. And before you get too excited, Pastor, you're going really fast. Are you going to be done? It's just going to be a short sermon. No, I didn't get to preach last week, so hang in there with me, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Listen carefully what Paul says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So our strength is not in our strength. Our strength is in God's grace. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God's grace that we may receive mercy and, and find or discover grace to help in time of need. God's grace is... Amazing. One author says this, God's grace meets us in the messy places because messy places are all there are, right? You know, when I think about the world today, I just think it's messy. There's nothing pretty anymore. If you turn on any kind of news station whatsoever, it's bad news upon bad news upon bad news. About, and it's, why is it so easy to be discouraged or depressed? Because that's all there is. There's messes upon messes upon messes. It's like Gary McElroy's jokes, right? One after another, after another, after another vomit session, right? Sorry, Gary, it was just too easy, right? That's what we have. We have mess upon mess. And yet God steps in the middle of the mess and he meets us there for his greater purpose. If you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You can't, can't talk about God's grace without talking about Ephesians chapter 2 because Ephesians chapter 2 highlights that salvation and the Christian life is not based upon what we do or our weaknesses or our strengths. It's based upon the grace and the mercy of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead, D-E-A-D, dead, in the trespasses and sins you were, you were under the water, seven leagues down, in the middle of the whale with no hope whatsoever because of your sins. Once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We have all been in the middle of the mess. Amen? If, if we all started comparing our past or even our present struggles, all we could say is it's messy, isn't it? One of the things I love about our church is that uh, First of all, you know, I'm kind of a casual person. I'm not very high church. And one of the things I love about our church is that we kind of all have that sense of, you know, we're just normal people, right? And I want to communicate that, that we're all normal people. There are no super Christians in the room. We all struggle and we all have messes. And that doesn't justify the messes, but it does. Hey, we are all in this together. I won't sing any high school musicals, okay, right now, right? We're all in this, in this, in this battle against messes and our sin and the results of that together. You know what? That's what the body of Christ should look like. It's not where we come and we pretend that everybody's okay because not, nobody's okay. Nobody's fine. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's super saints. We all have our struggles, but we're all working together 
by God's grace to overcome those struggles. Amen? So we, we once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body, this is Ephesians 2, 3, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, verse 4, but God, in the midst of all of that, just like in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10, God steps in, that God being rich in mercy. Because what? What's the motive? Because of his great love, for which he loved us. Even when we were dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, church. Because any, any good sermon better point out this truth. We do not merit our salvation. You are not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You can't, you can't bargain with God. You can't bribe God. We do not inherit our salvation on our own part. It's by God's grace and God's grace. By grace, we are saved. He goes on, verse 6, if you're reading Ephesians chapter 2. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show then the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable meaning you can't put a dollar amount on that, right? Valuable. His grace and kindness. Verse 8, you know these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Which came first? The chicken or the egg? Grace came first, right? And we respond by faith to that grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. His workmanship, not our workmanship, not a self-made man, not a spiritually uh, created your own giant of a self. You didn't promote yourself. You died to yourself daily so that Christ may be exalted in you. As John said, John says, I must decrease so that he must increase. We are his workmanship. I'm going to preach today, okay? Hang in there with me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, Bethany, that we should walk in them. I, I share this verse with her every night because I want her to know that her relationship with Christ is a picture of what God is, is not just saving her from hell, and into heaven, that's what God has for her for the rest of her life. God has his purpose for her. But we sometimes forget that grace, don't we? Jonah chapter 2 is a picture really of the saving grace of God, but also the operating work, grace of God in our life. Jason Gray said this, When I come clean about my brokenness, others catch a glimpse of how the real grace of a real God works in the messy life of a real person. When I come clean about my brokenness, Jason Gray is a music Christian musician. He says, others catch a glimpse of how the real grace of a real God works in the messy life of a real person. What I find in Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 is a messy situation. Number four, in your worship guide, number four. The mess, however, matures into a messenger with time. One of the things that I, I struggle with, I don't know about you guys, is I struggle with patience. You with me? I can be an impatient person sometimes. The last year has been very hard on an impatient pastor. Very hard. Like, I want to go now. Let's go do this thing. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol 9, 10, 11, 12 months ago. Let's do this thing. 
And everywhere I go these days, it's a roadblock here and a, and a, and a, a speed bump there and, and a detour over here. And it's hard to navigate that in my impatience. You know what God is teaching me? That his timing is much better than my timing. Now, what God is doing in the middle of the maturing process of time, he's doing something else. Some of it's visible. Some of it's not so visible. But God has not stopped working in the pausing or the detours or the speed bumps. He's actually perfecting his time in the middle of it all. So if you want a cute little uh, equation of it, a mess plus age or time equals a message. You divide the word right down the middle. A mess plus age or time, the consequences of our sin, along with God's timing and work, ultimately is God's gospel purposes, his message. But it doesn't happen fast, does it? Sometimes it takes painfully too long. The course of our church, I gotta tell you, it's just taken painfully too long for us all to get back together. It's taken painfully too long for us able to go back and do what we did prior to this pandemic. I am impatient at times, but... God is still working. In God's timing, it will be perfect. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God says he has made everything beautiful in its time, right? Not my time, not your time, but his time. Isaiah 40, verse 31, you know these words, but they who wait for the Lord, strength will rise as we wait for the Lord, right? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Galatians 6, 9, Paul implores us, let us not grow weary then of doing good for in what? Due season, due season, we will reap if we do not give up. One author says, time is the brush of God as he paints his masterpiece in the heart of humanity. Sometimes I wish he would get a little bit wider brush, make it a little faster but he is still working something in his time, church. One commentary said, God has perfect timing, never early, never late. It takes a little patience and a whole lot of faith, but it is worth the wait, right? God's perfect timing. Number five, the question then is not if you fail, church. The question is not if you will ever be Jonah, but what you allow Christ to do in your failure. Fill in the blank. The question is not if you fail, but what you allow Christ to do in your failure. Just because you sin does not mean God is done with you, church. Now, sin does have consequences, and it does require repentance, and it does require God working in you to restore you and reconcile you back into that. And that's a painful process, church, and sometimes a very timely process. But it is a process and a healthy process. He does not eliminate us based upon the mess, but he does mature the consequences by sanctification. We'll get there in a minute into a message. Tony Evans says, God will meet you where you are to take you where he wants you to go. Thankfully, he meets us in the middle of the mess to take us to a greater purpose. The Bible is full littered with it. I think of Saul. Think about that. Saul, the greatest persecutor the church has ever seen, the greatest threat to us ever even getting a copy of God's word 2,000 years later, wanting to stamp out the New Testament church. God met Saul 
in the mess on the road to Damascus, got his attention, right? In the midst of all of that, matured the mess, clearly out of him, matured the mess with time, and made Paul the greatest messenger of his day. Paul is not an obscure example over here. Paul is the normative way God works in the life of messy life. Number six, to be a useful messenger of God is to allow him, and here's the operative thing, to sanctify you, to clean you up from your mess. And this is the hard part for the modern church. We want to just say, God, I'm sorry, and ultimately be restored back and do whatever, and God say, okay, you're good to go again. But the process of time is also the process of sanctification. Sanctifying literally means that you're allowing God to clean you out from your sin. I think about the fish, excuse me for the graphicness, vomiting up Jonah, the clean out, so to speak. Jonah was coming out one way or the other. This may have been the more gracious one, by the way. It was a clean out. So some, a couple people caught that, you know. It was a messy situation. This is called sanctification, and it's messy. One of the things the church has bought into along with this culture that we live in, and I'm being very straightforward, hear me out, is this lie that God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be holy first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, this is the will of God. Every young person listen to me right now. You ever want to know what God's will is for your life? It's right here. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. That's it. Be sanctified. What does that mean? I mean, pursuing Christ, loving Christ, following Christ, living by his word, allowing the things that pull you away, the desires of the flesh to fall away. In this case, it said your sexual immorality, namely, but any of those things. So what is the will of God towards you? That you pursue God and live in holiness, not be happy. But what I find is that when I'm living holy, I'm living happy. Right, church? It's not the same way around on the other side. If I'm indulging my happiness, good chances, I'm not living holy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Therefore, anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Holiness, sanctification. Jesus prays for that in John 17, verse 17. It's the high priestly prayer. He said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, an act of God's unique grace. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish obeyed because everything else in Jonah does, except for Jonah. (laughs) And it vomited, spewed up Jonah out upon the dry land. There's one other New Testament analogy I want to point to real quickly. kind of parallels right along with this. And that is the story of the prodigal son. This is a story of you and me, Jesus tells, that we pursued our own thing, rebelled against God, ran away, found ourselves in the middle of a mess of a pig pen, came to our senses as Jonah does, seemingly in Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 through 9, and says, you know what, it's better back home. It's messy here, and if I go back home, I may not have the same status before, but at least I'll be a servant. And at the moment of God's grace, God brings him back all the way to sonship. Right here in the moment of God's grace, the whale, whatever it was, whether it be a shark, whale, or 
Megalodon, Megalodon, whatever it is, right? Spews Jonah back up. Why? Question is why? Because God was not done with Jonah yet. And that's the story for you today. God is not done with you yet. God is not done with me yet. God is not done with Parker, D.C. yet. Now, we've taken some bumps and bruises over the last year. This pandemic has affected us all, and it is messy. And I'm going to tell you, on the other side of it, it stinks. Can you imagine the stink of Jonah? I mean, he's been with some fish, and he's smelling pretty foul right now. And it stinks. Life can stink. It can be messy. But God's not done with Jonah, and he's not done with you either. Some of you are allowing the enemy to bring back your past, double jeopardy, to accuse you and keep you from living the life God has for you today and tomorrow. Stop it. God's not done. Some of you right now are living in sin. And God's saying right now, repent. Come back. I'm still not done with you yet. Ephesians 2.10, you're my workmanship, credit in Christ Jesus. Do good works. Which I prayed beforehand that you'd walk in them. I'm not done. But you got to come home first. You got to cry out to me, God, help me first. Would you do that this morning? God is never done until you die. And then eternity. But as long as you're breathing, God is not done with you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that you would move us past our past. We was past our sin. Lord, lead us to repentance, turning to you. And begin a new work in us, God. Father, I pray by your grace, your grace would consume us in this moment. And by your mercies would call us to repentance. Father, I pray if there's any of us who are struggling with sin today, or that we would deal with our sin today. Those who are at home, right there in the living room, those in the church house, right here in the sanctuary. Lord God, I pray that you'd work in this room today. Build your church. Build your kingdom. Father, purify the body. Move us towards holiness today. Thank you for getting the mess. Thank you for not writing us off. Thank you for second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on and on. Thank you for grace. Lord, help us never to abuse it. Lord, help us to call it what it is. That's amazing. Have your way this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name.